0: Back for another episode of What the Football Podcast. Hello, everybody from around the world, all our listeners out across America, Europe, South Africa, and of course, Australasia and the few we have in Asia. It's good to be back for another week of What the Football Podcast. I'm your host, Conway T. I got my boys on the mic. Rudds, Wade, what to say, boys?
1: How are we doing, gents? Good to be back. Good to be back.
2: Yeah, I've come back i'll just say that i've come good
1: to back. see your odds good effort i
2: don't <laughs> question hey do i bother coming back here there's there's no joy here for me i'm coming here to get lashed but anyway let's let's do this thing connell
0: you know what i will give this man an award wade he keeps coming back like a good puppy and taking his beating every week yeah yeah uh,
1: <laughs> you, you have to you have to commend the perseverance that's for sure <laughs> I'm just
0: glad during those years of Liverpool not winning the title, there was no such things as podcasts, because I would not <laughs> return. But uh, that that's a good segue into a cracking week again for some, um, and not for others. Of course, we saw some very interesting things this weekend, Not uh, notably the number of sackings that occurred over the weekend, um, which we'll dive into a little bit. Of course, um, we saw some interesting results. We'll dive into our second segment around the Man City-Man United game. It seems as though we talk about Man United every week on the show. And I tell you what, they do give you some comic relief every week. Um, This week, we saw Chelsea drop points at home home to Burnley. And of course, the Patrick Vieira steam train continued on with a win for Crystal Palace at home. We also see Arsenal go again unbeaten and keep a clean sheet. They are only two points off Liverpool, as they stand quite proudly in fifth place. Conte, the new manager, picked up his first point under maybe some controversial circumstances, but got the job done. And, of course, West Ham have now ended Liverpool's 25-game unbeaten run, which was an all-time club record for the club. Um, And they ended it quite, uh, quite emphatically at the home of the Hammers. Are they to be taken seriously? Gents, I guess we we'll start with the, exactly that. The West Ham result, a massive one. David Moyers, you know, you look back a couple seasons ago when he was at West Ham, a bit of a laughing stock, and kind of like this guy's lost his mojo. And then he's come back, reinvented West Ham, and they look like an absolutely brilliant team. And you know what? Fair play to them. Besides the mistakes by Liverpool, they deserve to win. What did you make of it?
2: I think they're a throwback team. They're a team. You know, we look at the way teams play now. We took one modern football playing on the front foot. You look what Brighton do and how they play. You look at, you know, the the, the counter pressing and, and, and pushing up high and playing on the front foot. That's total opposite of what West Ham are. So that's what Moyes knows. That's what he did well at Everton. He's gone back to it. So I've seen over the last couple of days, they're saying, they're talking about. Moyes for 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 United, you know, maybe we were too soon, but he was never the man for a big club. I think this this is his level. This is what he can do. Because you know the way they played it was just that they they looked to counter Liverpool. They sat back, they sat deep, they held on. I think in the second half it was more open. I think in the second half they could feel maybe some desperation in Liverpool, and and then there were chances in, on both ends. Um, but I don't think um, <laughs> I'll hold off on. Uh, on praising David Moyes too much, West Ham have have done well. I think uh, he's, he's stabilized the team, and he's, like I said, he's he's gotten pretty much where Everton were um, before he before he left.
1: Yeah,
0: so on that. Wait, I wanna I wanna point something out. What, Raj did trust, uh, touch on something there where he spoke about West Ham being a throwback. It's quite funny. He said that they literally scored the most goals from set pieces across the league. So probably tying into that whole more direct and and taking taking, I guess. Um, the opportunities that present themselves against those big clubs. Um, where do you see West Ham? Do you think they realistically can push for a top four spot? Or perhaps are we talking more, more top seven for them? What's the ceiling?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. And I, I think Rods made some really good points. They definitely are a throwback. Um, you know, they're one of those teams, you're not going to do anything flashy, but you know they're going to give you a seven or eight out of ten performance every week. So you got to front up. They're physical. Um, you know, you got Antonio up front, who's in the form of his life. I think I really enjoyed that battle with Van Dyke. You know, you went toe to toe with him. Uh, it was a real challenge, as well for him. Um, and yeah, I think Moisés found the formula there. So you know, when you when you do come up against them, if you're anything less than 100%, a hundred percent, it's going to be a tough afternoon or tough evening for you. So I think he's got them playing really well. I'm also a bit skeptical to say this early that you know they're gonna they're gonna be top four. I mean, it's I think we always see every year there's one or two teams that start with the bang, you know, and they, they seem to be lingering around that fourth or fifth position. Um, and then, you know, come Christmas, January, I think the league starts taking shape. And then, you know, you start separating, you know, these sorts of teams from the big boys or the teams that are really going to push on. So I'm also a little bit skeptical to say they're going to do it. But, you know, you have to give them a ton of credit for the way they've started. I mean, they made themselves really difficult to beat. Um, as you mentioned, they're dangerous from set pieces as well. Um, they're physical, um, they run all day, and he's getting a tune out of them. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's good to see them up there, and it's always good to see a team sort of disturbing the piece up the top with the big boys, um, but consistency is going to be key. So if he can keep getting a tune out of them, I think they'll be close, uh, but probably a, a little bit too early to say definite top four, in my opinion.
2: You know, they they put out a strong team on a Thursday night and I don't think there were too many changes from the, the game against Liverpool. I need to check that. Uh, but it's going to be hard to continue to do that um, back week on week. So um, the one thing I would say about Antonio, as much as he's been in good form, they scored seven goals in the last two games and none of them were his. So, um, yeah.
1: Seven changes, by the way, from, from midweek. So that tells that- you a little bit that... He's building a bit of a squad there as well, which is good to see, I guess, from a West Ham perspective.
0: Yeah, and I guess the actual game on the weekend, I mean, Liverpool completely dominated from possession. No surprises. You know, we're always going to dominate possession, but to reiterate Rudd's point, probably sat and played into West Ham's um, hands in a way. In You know, they were allowed to have that counter attack. And I know a couple of goals came from, uh, from set pieces and you know, there's that arming and ahhing with the first Ellison goal. Uh, to me, it's a goal. I, I've got no issue with it. I think keepers are, are protected, but keepers might have a different view of that. You know, Bonner jumps and it causes friction. I've got no issue with the first goal personally. I thought it was poor keeping. However, I do want to play a piece of uh, commentary for you because I think this was certainly a controversial moment in the game. And... I'd like to liken it to another incident that happened, but let's just have a have a listen here, guys.
2: Certainly, the crest We agreed as a red card. Yeah, yeah I don't even easy. know how they don't give that. I, I, I don't, don't even give the look at it. I don't, I don't understand. But as we've been saying, preparing for the show, this has been a terrible weekend once again for English referees.
0: So I guess I I want to point out this is not a bias. When I initially saw the tackle, I went, oh, uh, you know, it looks like he's hit the ball, and then his leg has gone up towards. Um, towards Henderson's knee. So I was I would have also looked at it and gotten benefit of the doubt. I saw the Holgate incident from the Everton game. Now, very similar incidents. He goes through the ball and then follows through and smacks, um, I can't remember who it was, but on the back of the leg, gets the red card after the VAR. The problem I have with the Cresswell tackle when I look at it again is, yes, his initial tackle, the ball, uh, he hits the ball, and his follow-on leg hits the top of uh, Jordan Henderson's knee the real one that, that, that hits the nail on the head for that tackle is the trailing leg. It is almost, I don't know if you've actually seen it, but it is like he is in a scissor motion, like he's about to chop the legs off of Jordan Henderson. So having reviewed it again, I think it, it, that should have been a red card. I'm not sure how they review the Holgate one, give a red card, and in this instance, they have a totally different view of, of that particular one. Where, where, what did you guys think of the the consistency, I guess, across the both games of referee?
2: I've been complaining about consistency for a long time with the refs, and it, it makes it harder with this gray area about allowing more physicality into the game. So, when they've made, when they've clarified why it wasn't a red card, they spoke about the force and they thought it wasn't enough force. It was a red card. It should have been a red card. Consistency would say if it's a red card in the Everton game, it's going to be a red card in the Liverpool game. So, look, I've got no issue with that. I suppose the one thing you can say is it, it was fairly early in the game um, you know at Liverpool did come back and equalize post that so I wouldn't say it was it's, it's a reason for Liverpool not not getting a result there was enough time for them to still make something of it but the standard of the refereeing I agree with the, I think that was Jules was it that uh made a comment on that but yeah I agree that that the the standard of refereeing has been appalling
1: yeah, I know it's. Um, you're right. I know you have been hopping on the subject of consistency all season, Rods, and there has been a, a bit of inconsistency from the referee, and I, I think that's always going to be the case. Unfortunately, you know, we've spoken about this a few times. For me, as a fan of the more physical rules, I think these sorts of challenges, where the player gets the ball and then the follow through his motion just happens to make contact with the other player, and it's high or um, you know it's the studs are up or whatever the case may be. I think if it's more a follow-through and it happens after the action of taking the ball, I think those should be allowed you know I know
0: Wade, some hang, th- on, I- hang on wait hang on thats a, yeah, that's a highly man. controversial statement I mean the gate are you are you wanting to go back to the you know the Vinnie Jones days of football no because no you, if if that tackle follows through and catches Jordan Anderson in the wrong way, that's a potential ACL knee gone. So I, yeah. I don't understand how you can say like the tackle's fine, the follow through. Oh, if nothing happens, he's okay. That's a dangerous tackle. The man had two le- two legs off the ground in the air.
1: Yeah, so, uh, look, I, it's, it's it's reckless. It is it is a bit reckless at best. I'll I'll agree with that. But my point is, if if the the defender is clearly going for the ball and he makes contact with the ball, and then the follow through happens to touch the player. I'm just I, – I err more on the side of let that go. It's a, it's a contact sport. It's going to happen. You know, okay, I understand maybe you want to give a yellow for reckless play. Don't dive in like that. But, it, it, you know, if it's a clear attempt to play the ball and it's not just someone diving in from the back and, you know, studs up and kicking someone in the back of the leg or on the knee or something to that effect and they're not near the ball, I get that. But I think these ones – the same one with the Elliott one, you know, where I felt like the guy – he got the ball and the follow-through – kind of clipped him and he landed badly, you know, and the, and the kid got injured. Unfortunately, I thought that was a harsh red at the time. I really did. Um, but look, I get the other side of it as well. I just, I prefer, I like that physical side of things. I think those should be let go personally. Honestly, no, that's my this, opinion.
0: This is an MMA and we are definitely not playing football <laughs> in the nineties. Right? I mean, let me ask you this question, right? Um, it's not, and this is the rule of modern game, it's not about the fact that you win the ball. It's the excessive force in the tackle. Now, I'd especially highlight the Holgate one. That guy, I have played football. He knew exactly what he was doing. He made that tackle and then pushed his leg forward. There, let me tell you, if he wanted to pull his leg away, he would have done it. He intentionally pushed forward and hit that play and thought he would get away with it because he was making a tackle. There was no need for him to do that at all. Maybe the Creswell one is slightly different in that sense, but the Holgate one, that is excessive force and there was no need to do it at all.
2: I suppose with the, like I said, what, with the VAR, what they said was the force and they didn't think there was excessive force in Creswell's one for it to be a, a red card. So I'm look, We can have these debates so all year. I can see it both ways. I, you know, for me... Ultimately I consider what impact it had on the game and if it if it was one of those that um you know significantly changes the outcome of the of the result. And you can you can argue that it does, but I think there was still West
0: Ham there. Yeah, and but there was still enough time the in the whole game. Gate one, the Holgate one had no effect on the game, but the Creswell yeah. one, that changes the whole game.
2: Yeah. and and potentially, but I think there's still enough time for Liverpool. I don't think Liverpool at the end of the season we're saying, Oh, that red card that Creswell didn't get cost us three points in that game. I don't think that'll be that that sort of that sort of decision. So so um, you're
1: saying that it should the, the decision should depend on where the game's at and how it'll impact the game?
2: No, no, I'm not at all. I'm just saying for me, when we're talking about these decisions afterwards, mm. I prefer for us to debate it where I don't think it's had a substantial impact on the game. Oh, so sure. where where it was a penalty that decided the game and and we're just debating it. Then I'll get more upset about it. But for this kind of one where it could go either. I don't way... Know, hang on. I don't know how upset.
0: you can I don't know how you can say it doesn't have an impact on the game. A red card in the first ten minutes of a game literally alters the game. Yeah, yeah I think it's for the job
2: for me is to make sure that we, we, we try to keep finish the game eleven on eleven. He, he tries to control the game. I don't think um, But as long and, as we're
0: having consistency, right? You can't yeah, have a yeah, red the card in Holgate. I yeah, understand we'll that, but
2: card, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I don't think Liverpool needed West Ham to be down to ten men for them to beat them. Liverpool should be beating West Ham with eleven on eleven. I don't think we should be making any excuses that, oh, only because they had they had eleven. If they had ten, we would have beaten them. But with eleven, they were too much for us. No, I don't think I don't think, we can I don't think that's
0: that. the argument, and, and definitely not saying that we needed ten men to beat them. But I'm just talking about pure consistency. You get yeah. a gate red card, which is almost the exact same thing versus this one. It's just and it, whether this had been Liverpool or United or anything. I just feel that the consistency between the two decisions, and you've said it before, Rudz, was yeah. completely off. Either they yeah. both not red cards, or they both red cards.
2: Yeah, well, I, I said both red, um, but yeah. you can see there's a debate here. So.
1: no, nah, neither were red. <laughs> neither were red. They were fine. Play, play, on, <laughs> play, red, on. play on, guys. We have to.
0: <laughs> we have to shift gears. Yeah, I didn't want to spend that much time. But we have spent 15 minutes on that debate, but it, it is something to to actually have a conversation about consistency of referees does ultimately affect it, and it makes it trickier when VAR is there. And again, conflicting views in both games. So I just want to cover off a couple of things that have happened this weekend. So Daniel Farker departs Carroll Road, having overseen 208 competitive games at the helm across four and a half year spell. Ironically, he got sacked after his win. Okay, let's not be naive. He was tapped on the shoulder about two or three weeks ago and told that something is happening, or at least within the week of the game. There's no way they announced that to no, that win.
3: I listened
0: to
2: one of the Norwich correspondents and they spoke about it. And he didn't have any idea. You know, he found out he was being sacked post game in the change room.
1: Oh, wow. Oh, did you, did you just say you listened to a Norwich podcast? <laughs>
2: there was an athletic that, podcast with a Norwich correspondent. I was yeah. just came no, was a say, Norwich correspondent. I just got a Norwich lot of time,
0: president. man. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Look, uh, let's be. Friday was on the wall with that one. But shifting again, Chief Executive Christian Pulow says the club have opted to make a change during the next international break after not seeing continuous improvements in results, performances, and league position on last year. Of course, we are talking about the sacking of... But last year, he thrashes Liverpool 7-2. He's the new talk of the town not even halfway through the season, and he's been relieved of his duties at West, at Aston Villa. A little bit harsh, Wade, do you think? I mean, given the fact that they have lost someone like maybe Grealish, or do you think um, five losses in a row pretty much uh, signed his death warrant?
1: It's a tough one this time. You know, I've been thinking about it. And um, like you mentioned, he had some really good results last year. Obviously, the Liverpool result. They also beat us at home. I think they beat us 3-0 or something. Quite a dominant win. Um, they beat United at Old Trafford this year as well which was a good result for them um, I, I think you needed a bit of time just to let these new players um, you know get what do you call it get acclimatized to the team um, you know some foreign players have come in from other leagues losing Grealish, who was pretty much their their linchpin last year always on the ball dictated play everything went through him Um I think it's I think it's tough. I think Dean Smith should have been given more time, um, at least until Christmas, to see if he could at least turn it around. This is pretty much the first bad run they've had under him since coming into the Prem. Um, so I am a little bit surprised by it. I would have I would have stuck with him. I think it's a little bit harsh.
0: I think one thing I'll say on this is I don't think we should be surprised anymore with second of managers. There's yeah, so much true. money in the Premier League that I think clubs get scared at the thought of going down. And the first knee-jerk reaction is to get rid and find somebody. So it's like an ever-evolving rolling door. I do want to shift gears one more to, uh, of course, Newcastle United have named former Bournemouth coach Eddie Howe the new club manager. It was announced on Monday. Howe's arrival the first appointment at the club since the £305 million takeover by the Saudi Arabian public investment company. He has signed a contract until 2024. A good starting p- appointment for, for Newcastle, you think, Rudds, Or what do, you, what do you make of Eddie Howe coming back into management?
2: I do like Eddie Howe. I think he's a good manager and a good coach. So I've listened to a lot of the things he did and how, you know, what he did at Bournemouth was, was close being a miracle. And he, he, he really coached that and had them as a group. So I think ultimately his downfall was that he, they couldn't continue to compete um, financially. And continue to play the brand of football that he wants. So when you play that front fo- football without the without the stars behind you, uh, or without the the quality in the team, then you can get left exposed. So as much as even when they went down, they played lots of exciting games, but they you know I think they were they were too easy to beat. So that scares me a little bit in terms of the current squad with Newcastle. So I think. With the current squad, he might find some of the similar problems. He might they might play good football, but still concede too many goals. So it really depends on what they do in the transfer window. So, um, I, like I said, I do think he's a good coach. I think he'd make a, a better coach at a, at a bigger team, and maybe that's that, that's the direction Newcastle are hoping that they're hoping to to make some significant signings for them to to now be a big team. But at the moment, with that squad, they look like they're going to go down.
0: there you have it folks a good analysis i mean i think the the pundits agree we haven't seen that many sacks since doing the egg spoon and sack race at primary school but that's the premier league for you it keeps you on your toes and you never know who is going to be on the slow train out of the building we're going to shift gears now and we're going to head over to the analysis corner And of course, we are talking about the Manchester Derby. Rudds has his hand in his head. I know this is a difficult conversation, but of course, it was the match of the round and it brought about an expected result in a City win. Um, the nature of that win, though, was, you know, some might argue even worse than the Liverpool one because of the complete and utter domination from start to finish of Manchester City, where It just became a case of close-up shop for Man United and not even attempt to actually get back in the game. Now, I want to play an opening segment here and a bit of a segue, Rudz, and when it's completed, maybe dive straight in and attack what uh, Ali Moreno has said about the game from ESPN
3: The limitations that you have now from Manchester United, regardless of the manager, is the fact that this is a group of players that did not even compete against Manchester City. They were not even on the field to compete and that as much as it is a reflection on the manager i also have to say it's a poor poor reflection on the players In that they were happy to lose that game to nothing they were happy to accept their position as an inferior team to manchester city and say you know what guys we'll take the two nothing and we'll be fine with this it's okay damage control and you're Manchester united and you're at home, and you're not even competing. To me, this, this result, and this game, and this performance, was actually worse than losing to Liverpool in the manner in which they lost. Because it was a resignation from Manchester United as a club in terms of being competitive at the elite level against teams like Manchester City.
2: Look, I think he makes some good points for a lot of the stuff that you're saying. Maybe not so much. I don't think... As a player on the field, you go out there not to compete. So I think that's, uh, I think that's nonsense. I think City were too good. So I think when United played with with three or five at the back, whichever way you want to look at it, ends up being five at the back when you're playing City uh, because you get you get pinned back. But I think Pep was was tactically too smart for that. So he pushed he pushed his wing backs all the way up. He had Foden coming over to the one side. He had. Was it Bernardo Silva or someone else going on to the other side, pinning United back? When United were trying to play out from the back, that first goal, we had the ball, we had time. There's no options. They pass it straight back to Man City and it comes straight back and they continue to attack. So David De Gea had the game of his life. I know he, he made a mistake for the second goal. I think it was a soft goal that he let in. But without him performing, that could have been five in the first half. That's how dominant they were. And I don't think it was because the players weren't trying to compete. They were were stuck in a system where they couldn't get out. So, you know, last week we spoke about an um, an, an Italian expert looking at United and saying if they go with their back five against Atalanta, Atalanta will dominate them. Atalanta did dominate them. We're just lucky we've got a player like Ronaldo who can pull us out the soup. So, you know, when you're coming up with these formations where your team is not set and not comfortable in it, and they're definitely not comfortable, and you can see how they're playing, you can see the options aren't there, that don't know how the system works, and that leads to errors. A team like Man City, a coach like like Pep, is, is going to dominate. So um, it stems from the Liverpool game. I think Liverpool broke United in the way they thought they could play uh, with the the 2 3 so he's gone into damage limitation or, or trying to find balance, and he thought he found a balance by playing a, a poor Spurs team that we had worked. The Spurs, Spurs offer no threat. Spurs were, were, have been poor. We've been calling them poor all season. So I think it's probably given him a false sense of of, of something that he can he can work towards with this formation, and, and it didn't work. I think in, you go into second half, he changes the formation back to a four. Um putting on um, a couple of different players but at that stage city are in cruise control and you can't get the ball off them you know United are playing and not trying to are not giving City the ball city are keeping the ball city got their patterns of play city for them it became a training drill and 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 in that in that context it was a worse defeat than Liverpool because you, you couldn't touch the ball you know when you're playing you know when you're playing in in a training game and maybe the coach has given one or two extra plays to the other team to say, look, maybe we're going to work out if if how we play if we go down and you're not getting a touch. And you start screaming at your teammates, we go, hey, work, move together because it's not working. That's what it felt like. It felt like a training drill where they just couldn't touch the ball. And I, a lot of that is on the manager. So I, I, I don't look at the players. They, they keep pointing to all these, the players and the players. It's 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 the system, it's the manager. Any other manager gets a tune out of it. That that team, th- there's a good team in there. It's, it's just a manager that does not know what to do with it, how to get a tune out of them.
0: Well, I, that's a great segue because I do want to neutral like, like Wade um, in that you're an Arsenal supporter. You know, I've often heard, and it seems to be the nature of the beast at the minute with United, you know, ex-players like Skulls and, of course, Neville. they kind of saying it, but they're not saying it about Ola Gunnar Solskjaer. And, the, you know, you have Skulls one week blaming Paul Pogba and uh, Roy Keane this week talking about it's the players and the players didn't show fight. And it's up to the players and the players. It seems to be the mantra being thrown. It's as if, I don't know, the board at United have told them what to say and everybody's just throwing out at the players. That's how protected Ole is. um as the Ruds and I were discussing, he's like Forrest Whitaker from Street Kings. He must have files on everybody in the boardroom and that's why they can't sack the poor chap. But let's talk about the players. And and Ruds just touched on it now. There's there's a good team there. There's a great team. I've often heard players say, United have a great team. I want to name some of these players for you, Wade. And you tell me if they are as great as some is made out to be. Eric Bailly, Diego de Ambialo, Diallo, Anthony Elanga, Fred, McTominay, Tom Heaton, Phil Jones, Victor Lindelof, Jesse Lingard, Anthony Martial, Matic, McTominay. I don't know. I read that and I see a lot of mediocrity in that team. And this is no disrespect to United, but I'm not sure about this. We have a great squad. I believe you have a lot of good individuals within that squad. But A system needs to be found to accommodate those individuals. But you also could have a lot of square pegs in round holes. What do you make of their squad as a whole, Wade? And what do you, where do you think the buck stops? Is it the players not performing? Or is it the system that Ole is setting out for them?
1: Look, I think, well, a a lot of the players you name, there are probably guys you don't really see often. I have to first say that. (laughs) um, You know, the likes of Diallo and Jones. I
0: just want to point something out. I'm not talking about starting. The wider squad you're talking about. The squad. We're talking about the squad. Fair enough.
1: Fair enough. I think there's enough quality in there, in terms of the players you see regularly, to be doing much better than what they're doing, to be honest. You know, I... Let's talk about world-class players. Ronaldo, you'd still consider world-class. Bruno Fernandes is a world-class player. Paul Pogba is a world-class player. Um, Varane is a world-class player. David De Gea, on his day, is, is still one of the best keepers in the world. So that's your spine right there. And you've got world-class talent in that spine. So for me, it, it's a good squad. It's a good team. Okay, yeah, you name some of those fringe players where we can... We can debate about, but in terms of the 11 that you'd see regularly, they've got a wealth of attacking options up front. I mean, you think about Cavani, Rashford, Greenwood, so many options. You know, I think the big issue that they didn't address this summer was getting that holding midfielder or just that guy that's going to sit in front of the defense and marshal the troops. I think that's what they're really lacking. They can't seem to find that balance in midfield. He keeps on trying to play Fred and McTominay, who time and time again have shown that they're not good enough. So I think going off the Sancho, even Ronaldo, I think those are luxury signings. Maybe one of those guys, you can add them in, but go out and spend $100 million on Declan Rice if you need to. He's still a young kid. He's improving. Look how well he's playing now for West Ham. You go and pay that money for him. You know, yeah, you're going to pay a bit of English tax on that, but that's fine. You know what you're going to get with him, and that's going to be... At least eight out of ten every single week. You know he's tough, and he's going to allow the Fernandes and the and the Rinaldos and the Greenwoods of the world to go on and, and get on with it and attack. Um, one of the most damning stats I saw was I think United have had the least touches in the opposition's box, and they had they've had is four all season or was it four against City? Rods four against City, yeah. So you know that tells you it's with all that attacking talent. And you, you talk about Bruno Fernandes and the amount of chances he creates. he creates, That's criminal, you know, that they're not getting those touches in the box. But um, one of the things I noticed with this five at the back or three at the back, however you want to look at it, is how narrow those three centre-backs were against City. I mean, the distance between them was probably the same distance you'd, you'd expect for two centre-backs. You know, they were so narrow. And then what you had was one bissaka was also coming in a bit narrow or he was isolated, and Cancelo was having a field day. Like, I'm watching it going. There's so much space. Can you not see that? And Cancelo's arguably been City's best player this year. He's been phenomenal. So I think that the the back five, back three played right into Pep's hands. He would have been rubbing his hands when he he saw that lineup. Um, I don't think you can just give them possession on the ball with possession, with time, there's no better team in the world, you know? So, um, yeah, I think he played with that and it, it was dominant. It was just as dominant as, um, you know, the Liverpool Liverpool game against them. So, yeah, worrying times ahead.
2: Yeah, I just want to say Roy- one thing about Roy Keane. And Roy Keane had said if he is Oli, he wouldn't hang his hat on players like Wambasaka and and Luke Shaw. It's the other way around. These are young players, you know. These are players that need to be coached, and we've got other young players like Jaden Sancho, who was one of the best prospects in in the England national team, and, and we've got players like Greenwood, who was a, again one of those. So it's the other way around. How dare you look at at these players and say the coaches and you know that the coach can't hang their hats. These players can't depend on the manager to improve them. And get them to the level where they got. Of course, you got to have self improvement, but he's got to play a system that that suits his players, not the other way around. So you know, Roy Keane and the protection of of Oli is, is way too far. There was the, at least one casualty this week, um, jumping off the Oli bandwagon, and it's it's the guy who said sign him up. Um, Rio Ferdinand has has now said it's time for Oli to move on and pass the baton on. So. Uh, there's one, I'm, I'm sure there'll be many more following post that. coming.
0: Well, that that's very big of Rio, because I'd say it'd be first of of the class of Ole to kind of take off the, the goggles and, and call it for what it is. And you know what, Rats, I do agree with you. I think, uh, and maybe a bit of a tongue-in-cheek comment around the squad, but there is some potential. I, I, I'll put it that way, unproven potential. And I, I think of players like Marcus Rashford. When I say unproven, they are yet to achieve anything. But what they require is guidance. Wan-Bissaka, Luke Shaw, um, uh, you you mentioned him, Greenwood, um, Marcus Rashford, all these players that are at an age that they need that development and growth. And I I don't think they are finding that right now. And it's probably hindering the potential that maybe some of those players have. Is the changing manager suddenly make you compete with Liverpool? and, And I don't think so but it'll make you a far better, better version of what you are right now, which is an absolute shambles to kind of watch. So I do agree on that front. I want to pause you there and I want to play another bit of media uh, for you. Um, this one, of course, from Simon Jordan over at TalkSport had, had something to say about Ole and Manchester United.
1: The whole ideal and the whole sentiment behind Man United is they were built to win. Now, they've moved from being built to win. They're winning off the pitch. The economics of Manchester United stack up still. Sponsorship deals, revenue generation, and so on and so forth. They'll probably come through the Champions League, so I would wager you that there might be even more challenges coming down the pike if he'd lost that game against Atalanta on Wednesday or Tuesday whenever they play, because it would have been a challenge then to get out of the Champions League group qualifiers. Then you start to hit them in the pockets. The challenge for me is, is that I've been saying for three years about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer being a very decent football manager with a decent of for players. Mm-hmm. What you're just seeing is levels. The levels of Manchester City and Liverpool and Chelsea from from the dugout onto the pitch and what the pitch represents is what the dugout tells it to represent is evident. It's everybody that sits there that gives Ole Gunnar Solskjaer a pass from one week to the next is culpable in facilitating a problem that cannot be resolved yeah. by this
0: poor bugger being in the dugout for Man United. It's a different a thousand cuts. And I want to point on this little point here, Rudd, and ask you the question, and I, I've probably said it before, do your owners truly, truly have the drive to actually give a damn if United win, or is everything driven by the commercial um, profits that they are there to make? I'm sorry, but those owners, you talk about them buying players, you talk about all this, they've done nothing to improve that place as a whole. Manchester City have probably improved uh, Manchester as as a city more than the Glazers have done ever, and your stadium has not been touched in something like I don't know how many years there's leaking roofs. We're talking about an institution like Manchester United. Are your owners really the cancer that is slowly eating away at at, at Manchester United? I don't question commercially how, what you are as a club. 100% you're winning there. But you are miles off winning anything on the pitch. What are your thoughts? Yeah, it
2: the- is. So that protest last year that stopped the game to Liverpool United, wasn't, it wasn't because, because they're not spending money, money on, on players. players, you know. united, united spend money on players. United got money, spend their money they generate that's self generated by the club. Not they're not spending the owner's money, so the owners are not putting a penny in it. What the owners were doing were neglecting the club to the point where they're maximizing their dividends and around allowing the club to rot. So, whether it's facilities or the way it's managed, um, you know. <clears throat> you look at the footballing department and perhaps they are comfortable with Woodward running it at the moment because he's not challenging them in terms of what we're achieving on the football side. He's challenging them to say what we need to do to move forward commercially. So we still got to buy the big names. We still got to be marketable. You know, there was a whole thing where there's a social media managers that were talking about how they work for United and how they work for all the players at United. And they try to drive the narrative that the players or the club want to get out there. Whether it's around you trying to portray yourself as being a family person or trying to portray yourself as being into charity or whatever it may be. And they've talked about that game and it just made you feel so cold in terms of that response between a fan and the club. So, you know, you look at, a social media platform for players a chance for them to engage with their with their fans. I don't think it's a surprise, but it is a realization that they are not even in controlling that. So it's 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 all a spin. It's all a marketing marketing spill. It's it's all a a, a perception spin. So and and that stems from from the top. You know where and maybe another club where you see them engaging. You know, I've seen things with Jordan Henderson coming out and speaking, and and he'll put his face on there. And I feel that's, that's that's got more integrity to it than some of the stuff where we're getting Harry Maguire apologize. Bruno Fernandes, he's put out a post just after United loss that said, vamos, or something like that. And it was a picture of Gabriel Martinelli. So the so the, the the social media manager had forgotten to switch over accounts, you know. So so you know <laughs> we we just getting taken for suckers, and and it starts from the top, It starts from the glazers. So you know they are happy with Oli again because he's not pushing that. You know Jose Mourinho was a disaster for them because Jose Mourinho started coming to press conference and saying the club's not backing me. I asked the club to buy this, and and nothing's happening. So so. You know, Louis Van Gaal did the same thing. He started questioning. He's saying, listen, you're supposed to be one of the biggest clubs in the world. So I'm giving you a list. You're saying you can get whoever you want. I'm giving you a list of players. And you're not going to my first, second, third, or fourth choice. You're going to my fifth, sixth, or seventh choice. You know, so he's saying, who's really the biggest team in the world? So they're not helping these managers out. So as much as these managers have failed, you know, it, it stems from the top. So, you know, it's, it's, Ed Woodward is meant to be stepping down, but then I see today he's, he's, he's stepping down to take on a consulting role within the club. So uh, it's uh, it's a big problem. I mean, we can talk all night about it. I don't want to harp on. It's a long topic, but but you're right. It's it's not, you know, whenever we speak about the Glazers, everyone says, why, why are you complaining? You're stay, you know, you're spending money. That's not the point. It's what they are doing to the club and how they are running the club. And the money that you're spending if you had football people running that club, that money you're spending will relate to a different outcome. And the failures you're now seeing on the pitch and the the standards you're now seeing in the pitch will not be accepted. Someone said last week that this is not an exaggeration, Oligonaso would have probably been sacked five or six times by Real Madrid. Right? And, and, and yeah. that's a realisation of how far we've come from being that top club. I don't because think he Stipa would have been hired by Real
1: Madrid, to be honest. <laughs> I don't think he would, would have would been he,
2: hired. Would he be hired by Norwich? Would he be hired by Watford? Would he be hired by Newcastle? Would he be hired by Aston Villa?
0: Look, mm. I can see... I, 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 look, I'd, I'd like to say I don't take satisfaction in seeing you in pain, but that would be a lie. <laughs> but I, I will. I will... This is where... This is where the situation is. I'm going to close the segment out with this, and I think you guys are going to be gobsmacked by what you're about to hear, right? But, of course, it is our, our main man, Grant Fries, has come in from Maritzburg, and he's told me this. I have not watched a game since the LFC game. I'm done watching all football going forward. It's fine. I don't complain. I didn't. He's reached a point where a, his analogies have even fallen off a cliff. I didn't complain when the ANC first took over South Africa. I didn't complain when the Bulls were, were winning Super Rugby. I didn't complain about a load of things. But I am done watching this football. Do not send me any podcasts. I'm watching F1 from now on. These are the levels we have reached. And this is what Ole has done. He has broken loyal Man United supporters. I was gobsmacked by Krohn's uh, comments because he's a, he's a loyalist. He's been supporting United forever. He did put a disclaimer in the end and say, I have not left United, I've left football. Uh, so no. he is broken. And it is tough <laughs> being a Manchester United supporter. <laughs> Guys, we could go on about this conversation all night. And I dare say we'll be back here again talking about Ole in a couple of weeks. I'm going to shift gears. And, of course, we're going to head into our favorite segments. And of course we got the fans are, are pretty much cheering loud for this guy. Right? The All trivia right. man is back. What have you got All for right. us this we,
2: week? Update we on the score so you know it's still got a couple of points ahead of Wade. Connell so it's 9 to 7 that 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 lead is continuing to stay so I'm not sure if Connell can extend it this week or Wade can claw it all the way back. Let's let's see how we. I've got this a week. strategy.
0: I've got a strategy to extend my lead. But uh,
1: oh, okay, strategies, let's, huh? Yeah. So <laughs>
2: I'm calling to, you Olay. He's your about a list of names. That he's just going to start spinning off. <laughs> as I start talking, but <laughs> No, I,
0: I realized I can control the mute button, so I'm just going to put Wade on mute. <laughs> <laughs> all
2: right, there we go. So you know the rules. i I'll, I'll talk about some facts of a player and i'll talk about him as, as if he's myself and by the time i get to the last fact hopefully one of you have guessed who i am so i started playing for i started my career playing for the hang Fiends. on hang on hang
0: on wade just ask your question now bro.
1: ask your question now <laughs> <laughs> is it a current premier league player
2: <laughs> All right, he's he's an active Premier League player. Oh, thanks okay. for that clarity.
3: Thanks for, okay. thanks for the clarity. Yeah. So you can
2: double check this off for so, itself. Um and and he's and he's uh to, to Connell's questions last week, he is relatively well known. He's not okay. a he's not, he's not an areola kind of player. So um uh <laughs> let's see how yeah, we go. So I started my career playing for the Phoenix All-Stars, which was run by my adoptive father. I was 12 when my adoptive father took me. Another, Sean Wright Phillips. Who's that?
0: Sean Wright Phillips.
2: No. I was 12 years old when my adoptive Christian father Lissage. took me. No. And another adoptive son, along with his biological son, to Europe for us to all pursue our football dream. With very little, we moved to Austria. In fact, we had one bag sharing four people's belongings. Oh, you said current, current. Dinner for the four of us was often a tin of tuna, mayonnaise, and bread that was shared between the four of us. We begged for a trial at Red Bull Salzburg, but they rejected us. But we continued to to make a move all around Austria. We, we refused. We gave up. We often stayed in motels or hostels um, and even times at, at academies where we were trialing Um, at the time. So even though Salzburg rejected us, we did end up in one of their feeder clubs, which is called USK ANIF. I was 15 years old when when, uh, they accepted me. And believe it or not, I scored 75 goals, 75 in 16 games. Yes, 16 games. Holy Moses. In 2011, 2012. That's when Genk came calling. They were really after me, but my father convinced them to take all three of his boys, which they did. This things started looking up. While we were in Belgium, my father disappeared. He He had left to Mexico for business. And while he was there, he got attacked and robbed and held captive before being released into a desert without a penny to his name. He was missing for four months while my brothers and I were left in in Belgium to fend for ourselves. Luckily, Genk kept a watchful eye and helped us to provide um, while in, in our moments of despair. By the time my dad had returned to Belgium, we were broke. And he was denied residency, meaning we all had to return home. After a couple of years, we did return back to Europe. Did you say retur- Lukaku? Yeah, he said it wasn't Lukaku. So we re- we returned to Europe. De Bruyne? No. This time, IX was IX came calling.
1: Donny van der Bierk?
2: No. Um, however, I was not yet eighteen, and they could not offer me a contract at the time. So, for legal reasons, you got to be eighteen in Holland to to sign a professional contract. So instead. Him and his brother signed for an Ajax feeder club while they waited to, to for them to turn 18. Ben-Taker? The feeder club was in Slovakia, and that team was called Trenchin.
0: We were there for a few months. gold is not possible.
2: <laughs> 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 we, were, we were there for a few months, but then the Ajax move fell through. As it fell through, Geng came back. And at that point, I had turned 18, and they signed me. In my first season at Genk, I was named Belgium's young player of the year. I was already a cult hero
0: Divock for Origi. Genk.
2: No, not already. I was already a cult hero for Genk scoring crucial goals during the season. In the Europa League against Rapid Vienna, I scored a goal that won the goal of the competition. After two stellar seasons in Belgium, where I made 56 appearances scoring 8 goals.
1: Minamino, was it?
2: No. no. It was time for me to make the next step. Oh, he's not Belgian. Chelsea, Man City, Liverpool, and Man United all came in for me. However, I chose to move to the Bundesliga in a move worth twenty million euros.
0: Jaden Sancho.
2: No, I made my debut for the club in a 1-0 loss against Maybe. Hamburg. My Champions League debut came. Which in... club?
1: Which club is he at in Germany? Sorry,
2: I haven't said the he club. Hasn't
1: said oh, okay.
2: I made my Champions League debut in a two-two aggregate defeat against Atleti. Timo
0: Werner, even though it's not him,
2: <laughs> not Werner. In 2017, I was called up to the national team. Arkadiusz? No. However, I declined with the view that the standards within the national team were not at the level required. However, in 2019, I finally accepted a call to play in the Concacaf Gold Cup.
0: God, I knew this. yeah. I've not since Asia. played it's 10 games for my country, no.
2: netting just one goal. I earned my first cap in oh. a game against Honduras and scored my only goal to date against Antigua and Barbuda. In the 2017-18 season, I was named in the Bundesliga team of the season. Firmino? No. No, can't be, can't On the 4th no of way. August, I moved to the Premier League for a fee of £30 million. I made my debut in a 3-2 loss against Watford, and I scored my first goal in a 3-0 win against Everton. I played (laughs) for the Clarendon Blue Army, also known as the Lions. I was born in Kingston, Jamaica. I played for Bayer (laughs) Leverkusen in the Bundesliga before making my Premier League move. there we go, Wadey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Yeah, I
1: wasn't.
0: I wasn't even close to that.
2: That that was the very last facts before I yeah, said before uh, for Aston Villa. The there gap is go. one. The gap is one. Oh no Going
1: tonight. He's it's going close. tonight. Yeah, I thought that
2: will be a tougher one, but I know the next one. I don't think we're going to go the distance. I'm pretty sure you guys will guess pretty pretty quickly as we go through guess the teammates. So we know the rules. I'll talk through a number of teammates I've played with across my career. And by the end of it, hopefully you know who I am. Starting on the top, Aaron Ramsey, Adil Rami, Adnan Yanuzay, Alexander Isaac, Andre Schüller, Andre Yarmolenko. Christian Pulisic. Ciro Immobile.
0: Is this a Premier League player? Yeah? Always <laughs> I'll just, I'll Danny Ceballos.
2: There, right? <laughs> Danny Welbeck. Jimmy Traore. Jimmy Dennis Suarez. David Luiz.
0: Is this player currently playing? Yes.
2: Eden Hazard. Jovino. Idrisa Gay. Cut. Ilkay Gundogan. Jaden Sancho. Kevin Campbell. Kurt Zuma. Levin Kazawa. Tiago Silva. No. Mark Patra, Mario Gotza, Misud Ozil. Mitchell Langerak. Nampeles Mendy. Niven Subotic. Nuri Sahin. Sahin. Usman Dembele. Gandigan. Peter Cech, Rafael Guerro. Robert Lewandowski.
0: Robert Lewandowski.
2: Socrates. That's or Poland, right? Stefan Rufia. Stephen Lichtensteiner, or Lichtensteiner like eh? William Has to be a Pali. Johan Cobai. That's all 40. I can start <laughs> on the top again and call it William. No. But let
0: us just give us a moment to at least think about it because yeah. Yeah, those names come quick. You know what I mean? <laughs> okay, so I I let like I'm happy to work with you. Yeah, wait. I Lewandowski is. It's either Dortmund. There was a lot of Dortmund Bayern, players
1: in there. There was Dortmund, a lot of Dortmund players in there. Bayern
0: or Germany, right? Uh, sorry, Poland.
1: Yeah, I got Dortmund. I got Arsenal. Possibly Germany
2: yeah possibly. i've not included any in international teammates he's oh, only no club inter- teammates. no
1: international teammates
2: okay teammates
0: so do- i got dortmund I at is the closest one to getting anything
1: he said gutzer he said Subatic, he said a lot of dortmund players there so it's a yeah. dortmund connection definitely uh, who are we talking about a current here?
0: premier league player Jaden sancho
1: no no i he mentioned Jaden sancho yeah oh, you mentioned
0: him me. um Marco? No, he doesn't play in the Premier League. Current Premier League player? Wow! Well, someone at Dortmund? He'd have to be pretty. Obama Yang.
2: It is Obama Yang. <laughs> there oh, you go. Oh, what? Yeah, <laughs> oh, it's oh, there. Obama <laughs>
0: Get it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I was gonna say Obama Yang in the middle of it, and I'm like, No, nah, I can't be,
2: there's no way. I should have
0: just wow.
2: I actually Did thought you it? guys were good. So, I mean, you got the Dortmund connection pretty quick, and you got the
1: Arsenal, yeah. And if
2: I got through it, I'm only thinking, Well, there's only two players it could be Hendrik Mkhitaryan Obama. Yet. Oh
1: Mickey. Yeah, yeah, sure. So <laughs> I, 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 don't know, I, I honestly didn't even think of Obama until just then.
2: <laughs> wow. Oh, so yes. Wade has actually closed the gap this week. So Get you both on nine apiece. in, I know You've given it away. You've blown it, and that's why Wade continued to to rise from yeah. so stay tuned for next week to see to see what the results are.
0: <laughs> oh yeah yeah okay okay wait oh you can take it, you can nice, take
1: man. it. hey i mean in, i'm inspired really by Mikel arteta so you know we're on the up <laughs> <laughs> we're on the up <laughs> yeah yeah
0: i think you know what i'll be humble in this one and give you a bit of a give you a bit of a give you a bit of a round of <laughs> thank you thank
1: you thank you
0: it's good to go into the international break level that's what you can say all right, <laughs> uh, we're going to shift gears. We're getting into the final, final thoughts, boys. I guess, uh, you know, it's the international break yet again. The bane of our existence. Um, I believe we come back and we play the mighty Gooners on the other side of this for Liverpool. So that should be interesting. Uh, one thing I'll probably touch on in this closing, since I'm not looking forward to anything over the next couple of weeks, is uh, performance of the week and uh, play of the week, something we didn't touch on. Um, so maybe I'll, I'll, I'll start this off. Um, you know, the easy one is, is probably again, much like that, that Liverpool versus United could easily go to city, but I don't even think that was much of a contest to give, give city the team of the week award. So I'm actually going to give it to, I'm going to give it to West Ham for their performance. I thought they, they, they were good value for their money. I thought they were well-structured in their approach. And you know what they're going to cause? They're going to cause a few teams' problems. I can see why, you know, um, teams have struggled against them. Um, and I, I think they'll continue to do that, especially at home. They made a comment on the weekend that, you know, um, the the new stadium is starting to sound a lot like, um, oh, bloody hell, the other stadium? Uh, Upton Park. Upton Park. Yeah, that's right. So the noise is back. The fans are excited. So West Ham will definitely get my uh, get my team of the week. I thought performance of the week probably went to, um, and again, in this particular game, I might give it because he's been an exceptional player, but I like this kid a lot, and I think he deserves a shout-out is Gallagher from uh, Crystal Palace. You know, him and Zaha are really starting to pull the strings massively within that team. I mean, Zaha's has always been a part of it, but Gallagher for a young kid has really taken the opportunity given to him by Vieira. He's scoring, he's assisting, I think he's been involved in quite a lot of goals this season. So shout-out player of the week to to Gallagher from Crystal Palace. Rods?
2: Yeah, look, I think it's uh, tough for me to say, but I think Man City actually do get my performance of the week. So they've gone away to their biggest rivals, their most hated team that they have. They've limited them to four touches in the entire game in opposition uh, in their own box, they've kept the ball away from them. They've had one shot on target. In fact, United had more shots on their own goal than they had on Man City's goal. They they made it look so easy. And when you make the game, <laughs> the most <laughs> difficult thing, <laughs> the most difficult thing in the in, in the in the game is to make it look that easy. So uh, I think it's, uh, you know, the gulf between the two teams. It has never looked as big as it did in that game. You know, City have always been a better team over the last few years than United, but United have gotten good results. Um, I, I, in fact, Ollie's had a, a better record against Pep than, 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 than Pep has the other way around. So uh, he was winning that that battle. So I think for for, for that performance, for sure it's going to go to, to Man City. My um, player of the week is, is a Southampton player, actually. So Adam Armstrong um he's he's been unlucky um with the a lot of his his chances over the last last few weeks um but the way he took that goal and, and the way he performed in in that game um yeah i've i've got to give it to Adam Armstrong this week
1: some good shots right. there yeah uh, some really good shots that Armstrong goal was a cracker by the way what a finish and I think he's deserved it because he's, he's put in some really good performances and the goals haven't been coming. So that's a good shout. Um, Performance of the week. I'm probably going to go with Crystal Palace. Um, You know, Wolves have been playing really well and I think they were really dominant um, in that game. And uh, we spoke about how well Palace have been playing and not necessarily getting the results. um, And I think they turned that around on the weekend. So Um, I think they were good value for that 2-0 when they looked really good. So, Vieira with that one. Um, My player of the week, I would have to say, I mentioned him earlier, Cancelo. Um, I thought was excellent against United. Um, You know, so dangerous. I know, you know, United probably played into his hands a bit, but he's putting consistent performances this year for them. And he was excellent again. um, You know, got the assist there for the silver goal. Um, he's been one of their standout players of the season. So I just hope he'll go down as my player of the week.
0: Well, there you have it. To the end of another episode, we hope you've enjoyed episode 11 of season four of what the football podcast with all your premier league news and updates from the panel. Of course we head into the international break, which nobody enjoys and everybody is waiting and counting down the minutes to the kickoff of the start of the next round of fixtures. It's been a pleasure bringing you another episode. I'm your host, Conway T. I'd like to thank my panelists as always, Rudds and Wade, chiming in from Melbourne, of course, as always, as we wait for another week of Premier League to kick off. Please catch us on all the socials, on Facebook, on What The Football, at Twitter, as well as, of course, you can catch us on the streams, on Podbean, and, of course, Apple Podcasts. It has been a pleasure bringing you another episode. We hope you do something to entertain yourselves during this international break. Until next week, we will see you then.